why is trust in leadership such a big contentious issue at the moment? And why should you care in particular if you're not a, in a leadership position? Hi, my name is Justin and welcome to Neuroresiliency, the podcast that ties together all the personal self-help development stuff together with absolutely everything that calls you to your mission in life and inspires you. So in this episode, we're actually reacting to um, a Gallup article that talks about leadership and trust in leadership faltering. And the point of why you should care is connected with this idea of exercising muscles. So without further ado, let's get into it. So this Gallup article, I'll link it below, says why trusting leaders is faltering and how to gain it back. And they talk about this idea that actually only 21% of US employees strongly agree that they trust the leadership of the organization. That's 21%. Okay. Now you might say like, well, this is their fault or, or the leaders or now what I've noticed with a lot of my clients is that the clients who are attracted to leadership tend to be types that are living out of this uh, childhood nervous system response where leadership fills the need that they had. For example, there are two to three types of people out of the nine personality types that I run personality assessments for. And those two types are very commonly found in leadership positions. Why? Because the childhood brain's reaction to stress basically told them you need to control the situation and influence the situation, or you need to achieve and show others that you are successful. And those are the two most common types of people that you find in leadership today. So what does this mean? Well, I want you to think about if you operated out of a childhood um, nervous system, let's say childhood uh, brain patterns for everything, Let's take the example of food. If you ate according to what your childhood needs were when you were stressed, what kind of food would you eat on a regular basis? I'm telling you now, it's probably not going to be vegetables and fruit and all the healthy stuff. It's going to be all the bad stuff that tastes crap in the short term will make you happy. You know, like what made you happy when you were a kid? That's probably what you're going to be eating. And so we apply that concept now to leadership as well. And we say that, well, okay, so now we've got someone who needs to control slash influence dominate the surrounding environment in order to, to show others that they're strong. And now you put that person in charge in a corporation. When things don't go well, what is that person going to do? What kind of a leader is that person going to be? It's going to be very difficult for that person in leadership to actually come out of their childhood reactionary state and lead in a way that people deserve. So that's number one. That's not to say that these types are bad. It's just this, this idea of operating out of the childhood um, nervous system response. So that's number one. Number two, the motivational kind of like achievers types, they would, they would make sure that they, the way that they lead wouldn't necessarily pay attention to the people under them. They would want to take all the acclaim, the achievement, the success for themselves, which again, doesn't lead to strong leadership. So the article talks about the trifecta of leadership, right? So number one is lead and support change. Number two is communicate clearly. And number three is inspire confidence in the future. So there's a lot to talk about when it comes to leadership and things like this. But the biggest thing to talk about is this transfer. Let's talk about transfer. 
if you, let's say, do an exercise like pull-ups, it'll have transfer to any other any other exercise that you do that is a pulling movement that uses the muscles that you're utilizing with a pull-up. You will see a transfer effect. Now, communicating clearly has a transfer effect in multiple areas. So if you're running a business and you're a solopreneur, great, you're going to find a transfer effect. Learning how to communicate clearly will have a transfer effect on your business. Learning how to communicate clearly will have a transfer effect on friendships, on your intimate relationships, on your your family dynamics, because whenever someone communicates early, they're being very clear about what they want as well, about what's expected, and you can negotiate before things are expected. So what normally happens when there's bad communication is people don't lay out expectations at the beginning. People on both sides will assume what the result will look like. And of course, then when the result comes in, that's when tempers flare because stress is high because now there's going to be a consequence to not doing the job in the way that was envisioned from either party, right? So the person under the leader could feel criticized and come out with a stress response. The leader could feel under stress because now they have to step in and micromanage or something like that. And again, it comes through. So instead, learning how to communicate clearly negates that situation. The communication is upstream of problems. And so the more you communicate clearly, the more you can actually mitigate any issues that are coming through and establish a culture of communication. And of course, this is not just in business as a leader. This could be as a partner. If you are someone who is a subordinate to a leader, just by you communicating clearly to a bad leader will also mitigate a lot of conflict as well. And who knows, they might actually take your spirit on board and start communicating a lot more. So this trifecta of leadership has this transfer effect. And it actually says uh, in the Gallup uh, article, when all three of these are strong, 95% of employees fully trust their leaders. So again, why should you care? Well, the number one differentiating factor between, let's say, myself and my approach and everybody else in this approach of neuroresiliency is this concept of the social brain. We developed a brain specifically for managing social relationships. And the idea there is that learning how to interact with leaders, learning how to be a leader, communicating clearly, whatever it is, it's all about managing these social relationships. And that means a stronger muscle for you in all regards, in leadership, in following, in communication, in supporting, all of those factors. And just by flexing that social brain, it's going to be better for you in the long run. Because things like intelligence, like let's say reading books and learning music, are not as effective in helping you navigate life as social skills, social relationships, right? You could be the smartest person in the world, but if you don't know how to manage your social relationships, you are going to be rejected by the tribe and it's going to be more difficult for you to achieve success. Whatever success looks like to you. You know, a lot of the times people that are smarter actually don't achieve more success. They achieve less success because the ma- the way that they manage social relationships is pretty much just do what I tell you to do. I'm smarter than you. And of course, people don't respond well to this at all. What people respond well to is an investment in them and trust and safety being developed as well. So there's all kinds of things that will affect you because of your social brain 
you are already wired to start managing social relationships. And when you reject that type of idea, we start to see some problems coming in. You know, the people who isolate themselves, obviously, we start to see some emotional needs not being met. You know, um, we start to see people going down weird paths and they create stories about this as well. Oh, I'm rejected because people are jealous of me. Well, what is that going to do for helping you to connect with people in the future? It's establishing a story of distrust of, oh, they're jealous because I'm smart. But it also puts pressure on you to make sure that you're always smarter. So that means that you're always going to persecute people who might actually be equally as smart as you, people that could be your, you know, your kin, so to speak. So it's very interesting to kind of look at this. And I think one of one of the other things to consider is if you are resisting leadership, if you say, oh, I'm not a leader, I have no interest in being a leader, I've got a surprise for you, a newsflash for you. You are already a leader, right? Whatever it is that you you think you don't have, guess what? You already have it. But on a scale of one to 10, how strong is it? So if you say, oh, I don't have any money, well, that's not true because money passes through your hands, your wallet regularly. But on a scale of one to 10, where 10 is like your fantasy, eight is is where you want to be, sure, but maybe you're at a one. Like you still have money passing through, but it's not it's not a lot of money. It's very little money. It's not enough for you to really manage your stress, your security, feelings, all that kind of stuff. But you already have it. So you are already a leader. And when people say this, you know, sorry, when people hear this, they're like, what? What are you talking about? That's not true. And I just literally will point out, if you are in a group, uh, let's say I'm talking to a 25-year-old and they're like, I'm not a leader. I'm just a kid. What do I know? I said, if I put you in a group of nine-year-olds, are you going to take the back seat and let the, uh, a nine-year-old lead or are you going to lead? So straight away, there are automatically some situations where you are just naturally going to step up and take ownership of that leader position. It's just going to be, of course, why wouldn't I? So extending that and being okay with following as well and saying like, that's fine. You know, like we are in a situation of low stakes, low risk, low consequence. So if I support someone else leading, that's okay. But if you are in a high risk, high stakes, high consequence type of situation, and you know that you can do the job better than others, you are going to step up and take control. So for example, if the house is on fire and you've got a bunch of nine-year-olds running around, but you're a 25-year-old, you bet that you're probably going to step up and take control of those nine-year-olds in, in that kind of emergency. Because them doing silly stuff that they don't understand is probably going to get them injured and hurt. And so we need to get around that 100%. Great. So I've had a couple of experiences with clients. It's been quite interesting as well within leadership where the client doesn't necessarily gravitate towards leadership, but is thrown in a leadership position and is in situations where they're like, I don't want to be this type of leader. Well, what type of leader? Well, my boss is you know, forcing me or pressuring me to, let's say, bring down the hammer on this person who's not doing their work. Okay. So the boss is the one pressuring you into an assumed you know, leadership style. You know, this is what leadership looks like. This is what I'm assuming leadership looks like. And therefore, I need to go into this place that I don't like. 
I don't want to be the person shouting at another person. I don't want to be the leader. Okay. What would leadership, what would good leadership look like in your opinion? What would it look like for you to help this person? But let's take away the stigma of leadership, quote unquote. And it turns out to just be helping this person manage their problems. And that's what support is. And surprise, surprise, that's one of the, excuse me, one of the skills of leadership is being supportive. And that early communication, hey, it sounds like you're having trouble doing this thing. You're not, you're not in trouble yet. Obviously, you know, we need to pay attention to this. But what can I do as your leader, as your manager, as your line manager, whatever it is, what can I do to help you achieve your goals? I can't do the job for you, but I can help facilitate as much as possible. Where are you struggling? What's going on? Those are some of the best ways to build trust, to come across as supportive. And obviously, you're communicating as much as possible, clearly and early as well. So this concept of leadership is very interesting. So just to round it out, talking about leadership is always this idea of how do we exercise parts of ourselves, these muscles, these skills that we've got innately, that will come out innately? How do we exercise them so that we have a choice in the future? Whether or not we want to be a leader is irrelevant. We will, in future, be a leader in some situations. But how uncomfortable, how awkward would it feel, how much resistance would we have to it, depends on how much we've practiced in situations. So I'm going to leave you with this final idea, okay? If you are a sports person, let's say you a soccer player, or you know, in Europe we say football. So if you're a football player, what does training look like? Well, training usually looks like, okay, let's go and exercise the muscles. Let's go and run drills, right? Let's go and repeat the same action and again and again and again until it becomes a little bit more automated versus competition, you know, showtime, it's D-Day, let, let's get out there and let's perform. So training versus performance looks very, very, very different. And so I encourage everybody to think about leadership. And even if you're not called to leadership or you don't want to step into it in any particular regard, to train leadership muscles so that if it comes to performance, showtime, you have at least some experience with that musculature. Even though you're not seeking it out, it's not something that you're going to uh, have a high stress response to. It's something that you're going to be able to take ownership of, come in and actually feel empowered. And that's the entire point. The entire message of this podcast, the entire purpose of this podcast is how do we empower a person who doesn't necessarily feel empowered? What kind of views can empower you? What kind of perspectives empower you? How do we deconstruct ideas that are disempowering? and create them so that actually we can see how they will benefit us in future and how they will empower us in future. So that's it. That's all I got for today. Um, please check out the links below and you'll be able to find the article that I was talking about. Very interesting article. Super cool. Um, if you appreciated this podcast, I would love a review. Please leave a five-star review if you're called to it and tell me what did you enjoy about you know an episode or choose your favorite episode and leave a little comment on that. That would greatly help this podcast to grow. Um, but more to the point, I think it's always interesting to share things between people and have a conversation, start a conversation. So I started this podcast with this message as well. I, I said, oh, don't leave a review, share it with a friend and start a conversation. And I'm more to the point of, yes, please leave a review because that would be awesome. And 
share it with a friend so that you guys can have a conversation together and really connect on a topic that means something. That's it. My name is Justin. I'll see you in the next one. Ciao for now.